I think the big thing in the uh, podcast today is uh, <laughs> Tucker Carlson. We had him on for the uh, the hour, the last hour of the podcast today. It brought back a lot of memories. Yeah, yeah, it did. We've kind of been in his situation, and it's not a good situation that he's in. He is, he is really truly fighting it alone, and uh, there's a lot to be gathered from uh, from the interview. And he sets things straight. I mean, my first question to him was, uh, it, "Was this a uh, a violent, despicable uh, protest with some good people in it?" Or was this a mostly peaceful protest, like they used to say about the George Floyd riot? And he was very, very clear. And don't be confused. I kind of break it down in the first hour of what what the mix-up is here with the media, what they're intentionally trying to do. And, and no knock on Tucker. I'm not saying it wasn't a, a good interview, but we did talk about a guy who's over a trillion years old. I mean, I don't see how well, that would not be more notable than... Well, you are right. You know, You're right. I, I, was pretty I believe it's a hundred... Isn't it 190 or 109 trillion? I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. A trillion years old. And that doesn't happen. Kind of a big deal. He is directly connected, in fact, on the payroll of somebody in Congress. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. He can also uh, create earthquakes with his anger, hurricanes (laughs) with his mind, and he'll give you some good gardening tips so you can stay away from the Jews. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All that and so much more on today's show. Um, brought to you by Jace Medical. Let me just say this. Carol Roth is on the show today, and I asked her about China. Jed, uh, things are starting to get not so good with China. You know, it happens sometimes between friends when somebody, you know, sends over the smallpox. Um, and things are just not getting uh, great with China. And we rely on China for almost everything, including 18 of 21 critical antibiotics. 72% of the ingredients on those, 72% come from overseas. Isn't that great? We don't make medicines here. Really dangerous. I want you to check out Jace Medical, J-A-S-E medical.com. Enter the promo code back. You'll save money if you decide to buy the Jace case. What's in the Jace case, five different courses of antibiotics that you can use to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, and so much more. We are having a shortage now on uh, breathers for, um, uh, for asthma. Now, not actually the device, but the medicine you put in. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'll just pick some up along with some of that baby food we don't have anymore. Jace Medical, J-A-S-E Medical.com. Enter the promo code Beck at, che- uh, at checkout. Promo code Beck, Jace Medical.com. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. We have uh, one of my one of my favorites. In fact, I think the best person on the economy. Uh, is uh, Carol Roth. She's the author of War on Small Business. She also has a new book. Do you know when it's coming out yet? July 11th. July 11th. 7-11. Lucky roll, roll of the dice. Right. And it will be, uh, it, it is called You Will Own Nothing. Uh, and I don't think you're going to like it, but You Will Own Nothing. You'll love the book. And it comes out uh, July 11th. Can you pre-order it yet? 
Not yet, okay. but I will come back to you soon. Okay. Well, All actually, right. you, you can pre-order it, but we don't have the pre-order bonuses, so we want to get everybody those bonuses. Okay. Um, so, Carol, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about what I see in the news that I don't understand. I don't understand. Um, I, I, I'll listen to some people talk, and they will say, we're done. In, I mean, recession and worse is coming our way. It's right around the corner. I see things like no one is working at places. You can't, you can't hire the people to do the jobs now. And, and where did they go? Because the unemployment numbers seem to be good. Inflation around the world is the in Britain the food inflation is up another 18 percent. Are we dodging a bullet here? So it's a really good question, Glenn. And I think the reason why you are confused about this, and frankly, so many economists have gotten this wrong, is everybody's looking for benchmarks. And we are in unprecedented times economically. You know, we've never had a period in history where they decided to keep interest rates suppressed and frankly, um, near zero for 15 years, just completely suppressing and creating this, this easy money policy. We've never had a period in time where, you know, the, the people who are in charge of the um, you know, most robust economy in the world said, hey, we'll, we'll just shut down a third of it for a little while and then try to turn it right back on and assume there's going to be no problems like we're power cycling a modem. Right. We've never had a, a point in time where we've had uh, the Federal Reserve print so much money that they then have $9 trillion on their balance sheet. So all of these Jeez. things have caused massive disruptions to every piece of the economy, um, not to mention, um, you know, looking forward to your special tonight, you know, the, the crazy energy policy that has created this undersupply throughout the economy in oil, in labor, you know, in, in food and in, in housing, all of these areas where the Fed, you know, can't print those things like they print oil. So a lot of people are saying, you know, why is it that the Fed is raising rates and, you know, we're not seeing the immediate effect of it? And a lot of it is, I, I call it the, the the recession being late to the party. It's not that they're not going to show up. Um, they're just being fashionably late because we have so many weird things that we're working through where there are no benchmarks. You know, if you've had cheap capital for 15 years, if you are a business, you have plenty of capital that you have locked down at low interest rates. Um, so you probably anticipated this and don't necessarily need that you know, today to work through whatever it is you're right. working through. A lot of consumers have locked in those interest rates. So you know, when we see the Fed raising rates, it's going to take a little while for people to run out of that debt capacity and to say, okay, I need more. And so we're really just seeing that timing issue that's going on because of all of these central planning mistakes, or perhaps you believe it was intentional. You can make a good case either way, but the central planning messing with the economy. Okay, so I, I see things like um, uh, car uh, repossessions going right. through the roof. Okay, so that's happening. But at the same time, I keep seeing these labor uh, statistics that show uh, everybody's got a job. It's great. And then I hear, well, no, they fudged the numbers. And I, 
I don't understand what's happening with the labor numbers. Okay, so let's unpack this, and I'm going to use both retail sales and labor to sort of explain this. So as Mark Twain said, three kinds of lies, right? Lies, damn lies, and statistics. So anytime you're looking at data, um, most people who work with it try to normalize it to throw out things that are unusual to make more sense of it and to make it you know, easier to understand and interpret and, and predict from. So if you had things that are crazy highs and crazy lows, you might throw that out. Correct. What they do in terms of things like retail sales and the labor force is they do a seasonal adjustment. And so the best way for you to understand this as you know, you know, during the holiday season, uh, lots of people decide to do their shopping in November, December, and then that falls off a cliff in January when people are returning things and are, are all tapped out. So they make a guess based on historical benchmarks, like what should that look like on a normalized basis based on everything that we've seen? And we're just going to make those adjustments, which sounds great until things don't behave like they did historically. So for example, um, if you think about retail sales, Morgan Stanley says normally we would have a 20% drop between December and January in retail sales. But what happened this year is people started shopping early. December wasn't quite as robust as they planned. So January didn't look quite as bad because December wasn't quite as good. So those sales Mm. only came down 16.2% when they were projecting them to come down 20, oh my God, retail sales are great. The same Uh. thing happens when you look at the hiring numbers because we don't have as many people in the labor force. If you think about all of those retail employees who are working, right, they're expected to be laid off in January, but now they didn't even have enough people to hire. So they expected that, that there would be 3 million jobs cut in January but there were only 2.5 million. Oh my God, what a great difference between December and January. So this all goes into them trying to adjust the data and you know use it uh, you know, seasonally adjusted. And again, you can say that this makes sense or is nefarious. I, I think there's a case to be made on yeah, both I, sides. I mean, I, but I, that's I, why you have this divergence that is difficult for everyone to get their arms and their heads wrapped around when you see what's going out on out in the real world. So- when it comes to inflation, there the Fed is raising the interest rates, but right. the government is spending money unlike ever before. No matter what Joe Biden says, we right. are just f- pouring money out of the door. The idea of raising interest rates is you slow the engine down. You start people can't buy things. They um, have to kind of scrimp and save. So they're not going out and buying things. They're not buying new houses, new cars, et cetera, et cetera. And that sucks the, the interest rate sucks the money in to be destroyed. But if you're doing that and you're spending more money than you could possibly take in, why, why are we still relatively okay Well, so you've sort of explained it, right, is that the Fed is trying to destroy demand. They're trying to slow things down. And one of the ways they do that is they send a signal to the government. They've given the government the permission through easy money for, as we said, about the last 15 years to be able to spend and finance that at a low rate. Now, as they're raising rates, that's supposed to send a signal to the government, hey, it's become really expensive for you to borrow. You need to slow your rate down. And the government has said, 
too bad. We're just going to spend like drunken sailors. No disrespect meant to drunken sailors. <laughs> so that basically means that component of the GDP is going to stay very solid. It does another thing, though, psychologically, if you think about it, Glenn. If you had the government practicing austerity, if you said we need to slow things down, then all of a sudden you as a consumer went, oh, well, may maybe things aren't as great as, as they, they possibly are. The government's practicing some austerity. I'm going to practice some austerity, too, because I'm worried about what's going on. That's not happening. The government is sending a signal that everything is fiscally sound, that it's OK for you to spend. And that signal is going through the rest of the economy as well. So you have consumers saying, well, you know, they're, they're not going to pull back. I'm not going to pull back. And another thing that you have things like the cost of living adjustment that happened because of inflation that hit almost 70 million Americans, you know, starting in December um, into January of this year, that's effectively more stimulus into the economy. Right. So you still have all of the stimulus going on. What the Fed should be doing here is saying, you know what? We're out. We don't have the tools. Government, this is on you. You are overspending. You are creating the policy that is keeping people out of the labor force, that is keeping oil prices high, that's putting up barriers to create more housing. This isn't something we can fix. This is something you fix. We're out. You do it. Unfortunately, nobody has the cojones to do that. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. Hey, Tucker, how are you, man? Hey, Glenn. How are you? doing? Good. I couldn't be better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I'm so cut off. <laughs> this, uh, this is, we were talking about it earlier today. I recognize what you're going through right now. I know you do. You're one of like three people in the world you understand. <laughs> it is crazy. It is crazy to watch it from the outside. Uh, so, Tucker, first of all, can we just get this out of the way? Are you saying that this was a peaceful event? Or are you saying this was... Well, of course not. Of course not. No, no, no. I'm just... We were... I tried to be pretty... I wrote those scripts myself. So mm -hmm. any, you know, any overstatement or errors of fact are my fault. Um, but I tried to keep it specific. We focused on a couple of individuals, three. And they're Jacob Chansley, the QAnon shaman, Brian Sicknick, the Capitol Police officer who died after January 6th, and Ray Epps, the mysterious figure on camera promoting violence, who was for some reason not indicted, put on the FBI's most wanted list, then pulled off and thanked by Democrats for his service. And we assessed each of those stories on the big, you know, in light of the new tape that we reviewed. And in the first case, I, I merely made the point that here's a guy, Jacob Chansley, a Navy veteran who's doing four years in prison for some species of domestic terrorism. But none of us have ever been shown what he did to deserve four years in prison. And now we know. And there's videotape of him being led around by Capitol Police into the Senate chamber. And at one point they try one door, it's locked on his behalf. They're trying to get him into the Senate chamber. Then they lead him in. It's on tape. And he goes into the Senate chamber and immediately says a prayer out loud of thanksgiving for the police officers who let him in. Okay, so now, wait, 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 wait. He is uh, uh, he is being escorted by the police, but the captain of the uh, Capitol Police said just last night that 
This was to de-escalate the situation. And, and I'm sure there was a lot of de-escalation going on. I'm speaking of a very specific case where this was not de-escalation. It was something else. And I can't really guess as to what it was. I merely put the video up um, and drew my conclusions. But, of course, viewers are, are welcome to draw their own. But here you have a guy who's walking alone. There are no other protesters in the frame. And there are nine armed Capitol Hill police officers around him. They do not stop him. They don't try and slow him down. They don't try to bring him to an exterior exit. They bring him, they lead him, trying different doors into the Senate chamber, at which point, as I said, he says a, says a prayer, justly, of thanksgiving for them and their assistance. Now, I don't, and again, I, don't, I can't even guess as to what motivated them, what we're looking at here, but I know what we're not looking at, which is an act of violent terrorism. And yet, this guy's doing four years in jail. And I'm trying not to use profanity on your show, but, like, what the heck is that? Mm -hmm. I mean, for real, like, what is that? And don't tell me it's something that it's not. And so the main conclusion that I drew is that Chuck Schumer and the the horrible Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, filthy man, and Mitt Romney and Tom Tillis and Senator Kramer of North Dakota, like, they're all lying. They're all lying. And a lot of them are Republicans. Why are they lying about what? we can see plainly and why didn't they want us to see it? And again, I can't sort of fill in that blank. I can't answer that question, but I know deception when I see it, it's demonstrable, it's proven. And they should, I think, be asked to explain themselves. Like it's not enough to say, Oh, it was the worst violent insurrection since Gettysburg or something. Okay, fine. Stop with the overstatement, the hyperbole, and just explain to me what I'm looking on, uh, on the screen and seeing, you know, Tucker, um, because I've been in this situation before, let me ask you, if I came to you and I gave you some edited footage of something and I said, no, Tucker, this is what it is. You, you're not going to believe this. Uh, I mean, I'm going to show you some stuff, but this was an armed insurrection. It was really bad. Let me show you. And I've edited some tape and given it to you. If that turned out that uh, I edited out the things that you found would you just kind of go quiet or would you come out and blast me to smithereens? I'd feel deceived. And right. And as you know, you work in, you've worked in television most of your life. You've worked around pictures. You know their power and you know their capacity to deceive. Nothing is more leading than pictures. Mm -hmm. You think you're seeing the whole story. You're not. And all of us who work in this medium know that. And so I think TV people, above all, and movie people, anyone who works around pictures is very aware of their power and their capacity for deception. And so we're suspicious. Okay, you show me those pictures, you whip me into a lather, but are, is there something you're not showing me? Did you edit that? And so from the very first day, I wanted to see all the video. And, right. I, and, and I don't understand why other, why is MSNBC and CNN and you know, NBC News and CBS and like, why is no one else interested? I, well, I, no, but I it's, it's, it's beyond not interested. They if they were innocent of of this, if they were just saying, hey, we're just reporting what we have been told and what we were given, I would feel very deceived and I would be the loudest in the room saying, release all of it to me because uh, what I just saw doesn't match what you gave me. Why aren't they standing yeah. up and defending their own honor and integrity? Well, that's it. That's it. Oh, God. I'm so grateful you said that because that's the core of it. 
It's not even, thank you for saying that. It's not even about politics, partisanship, power. It's about dignity. Yes. It's about your own self-respect. I'm an adult man. I'm 53. I have four grown children. I pay my taxes. I'm a citizen, lifelong of this country. You can't lie to me. You diminish me when you do that. And if I participate in that, if I allow you to lie to me, then I'm no longer a free man. I'm a slave. And that has to do with me. It's not even about you. It's I have self-respect, and I cannot allow that to continue without me saying something about it because I respect myself. I hold myself to higher standards. I'm not, you know, I'm not Mahatma Gandhi or something. I'm, I, don't, I don't want to overstate my virtue. I'm not very virtuous, actually. But I do have some standard of self-respect, and they don't. And it's shocking to me. You called the January 6th committee members uh, liars. Um, besides Here. suggestions that, you know, Sitnik was murdered, not even uh, suggestions but claiming that. Um, a, a, do you make the case that they're liars? They, they didn't just, you know, fib a bit and eat around the corners, that these are full-fledged liars. Well, that was the stunning part to me. I've been in Washington my whole life, and my dad worked for the government, so I had a kind of root-level trust in government, or a trust in government, but, like, the whole thing can't be fraudulent because I know the people who work there. My dad was one of them. Like, this is, you know, I'm very much from that world. I guess that's what I'm saying. So my default setting is not they're lying about everything. I've never assumed that. And so I was shocked to learn that they were lying intentionally. And the way that we know that, we have a very specific way of knowing that, which is, when January 6th committee researchers looked at video, they bookmarked it. They left an electronic mark on the video they watched. So we know what they watched, and then we watched it. And so there is video of Chansley, of Ray Epps, and of Brian Sicknick that we know they watched that was not included in the report, was never mentioned in the hearings, a year and a half, a thousand witnesses, 850-page report. And this video, which overturns the story they were telling, proves it was a lie, they saw but hid. So, you know, I'm always hesitant to go to motive because who understands people's motives? You know, you can only really guess about them. But in this specific case, we know that they lied. And that just blew my mind. I mean, you know, some of these guys, if Adam Schiff lies, I think Adam Schiff, there are spiritual forces surrounding Adam Schiff. Like, I think he is a force of darkness. And I mean that. But... Somebody, is Benny Thompson evil? Like, I have trouble believing, you know, like, is, is, I mean, I've known Liz Cheney for 25 years. Is Liz Cheney, like, actually a liar? I just always assume she just disagrees on the, on the issues with me. No, it turns out Liz Cheney is actually affirmatively a liar. She knew information, she withheld it because it challenged the lie that she was telling to the public. And that's just completely, I mean, call me naive, I guess, I'm sure everyone listening is like, how stupid are you? Well, I guess kind of stupid because... I was blown away by that. So I know you don't want to go into motivation, but this is a pretty large lie. I don't want to use big lie because that's what Schumer used and Hitler used. <laughs> um, but it's a pretty large lie. What, what is the motivation? Well, if you, you know, again, I can only speculate, but I, I know the effects of the lie and they're not small. This, this is an event that was a complex event with many facets and they simplified it immediately into a good versus evil tale as they do with everything, partly because they lack nuance and imagination and sophistication, but partly because 
this was a tool they were using for a purpose. It was a cudgel they were using to beat down their opponents and grab more power for themselves. And in effect, what it did was change the definition of terrorism from something that, you know, exists in other countries and is aimed at us to Republican voters, populist voters. I shouldn't say Republican because Bernie Sanders voters, Trump voters, anybody who questions the legitimacy of the current two parties, power holders is now redefined not as a political opponent, but as a terrorist. And that has very specific consequences. It means all of a sudden you can harness the world's largest law enforcement organization, the FBI, and the intel agencies, CIA, NSA, defense intelligence, all of them. And you can harness them against your political opponents. And that's exactly what they did. Not just in the hundreds of people who went to jail and the almost 100 who were still in jail without trial as political prisoners 26 months later, but... All the other people who are just political activists who have views, people, honestly, people like you, like they can read your text messages. They did read mine. And I say read my text messages and then threatened me with them. And, you know, I brought this to members of Congress. They had a hearing on it. NSA admitted they did it. And then nothing happened. You know, the director of the NSA is still in office. Like nothing happens. And you realize, wow, the, the largest organization in human history, the federal government, has been harnessed as a political tool. It's like the one thing you can't allow. And we have allowed it. It's happened with the complicity of Republicans, certainly with Mitch McConnell's complicity. And that's just mind blowing. And then it's like, well, what do I do now? You know, I'm not going to leave America. I'm from here. I love this country. I have four kids. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here. But you really start to feel like I've always thought I was a very patriotic person, fly the American flag, believe in the country. And all of a sudden it's like, the power centers in the country, the, the government, which is supposed to be nonpartisan, serving all of us equally as citizens, that's turned against me like I'm some Al-Qaeda member from Baluchistan or something? Like, what? It's very bewildering, I will say that. Yeah, I think part of it is because we forgot what Washington said, which was, you know, government is like fire. You control it, it's fine. If it controls you, it'll burn everything down. And we confused our our love of the principles of our country with the love of and trust of our government. Trust the principles, not the government. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. So, Tucker, what is it that what if if, you know, I, I think you're making points that I understand but the left intentionally is misunderstanding them and trying to direct the conversation into places that you're not you're not suggesting. What is the what is the message that you want people to walk away with this week? What's the point of what you're doing? That you're being lied to and that you deserve better. Your government's not allowed to lie to you. That's against the law. They're not allowed to lie to you. It's your government. And you should demand better. And I, and I would say in a very specific way, I've alluded to it a couple of times, that for people who are not, you know, supporters of President Biden, who think the system needs reform, that it doesn't represent them, it doesn't serve their interests, those people are Republican voters because they have no option. They vote for the Republican Party. There's no third party, a meaningful one. And so... Very specifically, they have to demand more from their own representatives or else democracy isn't real. It's a representative democracy. That means 
Your will is expressed through the votes of the people you vote for to go to Washington on your behalf. And that is absolutely not happening. Their priorities are in a different universe from the priorities of their voters. You don't see that on the left. Democratic politicians make some effort to represent their own voters. Republican politicians do not. Mitch McConnell has zero interest in what you think about anything. And that is a that's a structural problem with the party. And I don't know what it like what the fix is. I think part of the problem is that Republican voters don't like the donors don't like Republican voters. They clearly don't. You know, and the biggest donors to the Republican Party think Republican voters are disgusting. And that's that's a huge, huge problem. That's not true on the other side. So I don't know. But, I, you know, there's kind of nothing you can do about Merrick Garland if you're your average voter. But if you're if your member of Congress is like not even bothering to listen to what you care about, you have a way to replace them. It's called a primary and I don't know why that never happens. I mean, I really don't understand. I mean, Adam Kinzinger would still be serving in the Congress if he wasn't redistricted out of his seat. And like, what is that? You know, was, were the majority of Republican voters in his Illinois district on his side? No, but he would have gotten reelected. So there's a problem with our system. And I, I hope that can be fixed. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. And don't forget, rate us on iTunes. We're with Tucker Carlson uh, talking about what he's been talking about on uh, television this week uh, with the January 6th commission. Um, you know, there's, you know, when you watch the the uh, Josh Hawley uh, segment where they made fun of him in the January 6th, you know, hearing and everybody's laughing at him. That is so incredibly petty to selectively edit when you know everyone was running out and he was one of the last to run out, you just edit that sliver. Why would they go do something that? Pe- I mean, why would they do that? Because that's who they are and they can't help themselves. And by the way, if it's just going to be like small ball, Twitter level political theater and they're just generating memes out of the Congress, OK, that's, you know, whatever, that's fine. But don't tell me it's 9-11 then. Like, both things can't be true. Do you know what I mean? If it's like pissing on Josh Hawley, he's a coward, he's not really a man, and like the party of gay rights is going to smear him by implying he's gay. Like, the whole thing is so weird anyway. But whatever, that's who they are. They're low. Okay, fine. But then you have the attorney general standing up and telling me that this was an assault on our democracy and the FBI has to get involved. Like, no, that's not allowed because you're degrading our core institutions when you do that. The Attorney General of the United States got on television yesterday at a hearing and said five Capitol Police officers were murdered on January 6th. Well, that's not true. No Capitol Police officers were murdered on January 6th. And what were their names? And where are the autopsy reports? And like, how exactly did they die? Why don't you tell us? This is the Attorney General. This is not Eric Swalwell on MSNBC. This is not Joy Reid, you know, freeballing into a commercial break. This is the attorney general who commands the FBI. Like, you can't talk like that. That's crazy. In, in February 21, you, I think, were the first to report that Bank of America was sharing private customer information with federal law enforcement agencies regarding the banking activity surrounding January 6th. Well, now we find out from a whistleblower it appears as though Bank of America volunteered this information and even went so far as providing gun purchases dating back to 1991. 
Bank of America, I guess they think they're too big to fail. Maybe they are. They ignore all questions from the media, including us. Um, I mean, at, at what point, as you said, when they were reading your texts, um, nobody's paying for any of this. At what point does the system just collapse on into some sort of a fascistic gulag? Well, that's obviously their goal. I mean, I don't, you know, and I hate overstatement. I engage in it regularly because I get mad, you know, and yeah. I get over my skis and, I, and my wife's always telling me just, you know, calm down, say a prayer, don't say things you don't mean. And that's a very fair criticism. But at some point you have to kind of make rational judgments on the basis of available evidence. And I don't see any limit to their designs. I don't What is the limiting principle here? They don't believe in God. They think they're God. They are the final word in everything in their in their view. And so there's really no limit to what they can do to people who oppose them. And there, honestly, there has not been. I mean, I guess the limit would be killing them. But taking away a man's freedom is tantamount to killing him. And they've done that at scale. So, look, what they're doing is, I mean, one of the many effects, none of this happens in a vacuum, is to turn kind of responsible systems supporting people like me into jittery paranoids. Right. You're going to have a lot of people buying pallets of 7.62 steel case with Krugerrands. Like I'm almost there. Like what? Why wouldn't I be at a certain point? The banking system like Bank of America, APG and bank from San Francisco, the town of my birth is now turning you in for buying a gun legally. What? Like it can really. And I feel like I'm I've been married to the same girl for 32 years. I'm pretty stable in my personal life. I'm not, you know, subject to flights of fancy. And even I. I'm feeling very kind of jumpy. What about someone who isn't married and doesn't have kids and has got nothing to lose? Like you're creating crazy people by acting this way. That is true. And no one ever says that. I'm surprised we don't have more horrifying acts of mass violence. Yeah, I know. Like we're creating Tim McVeigh's. And I say that with deep sadness. I don't want that. I, I have to tell lot. you that, you know, they, they keep talking about conspiracy theories. The reason why there are conspiracy theories is because what they tell us continues to turn out to be untrue, and then yes. they they silence everyone from even asking. So, of course, that the psychological result of that is, I got another theory that fits better. It, only transparency, only transparency uh, heals that. Let me ask you: when you got the um, when you got all the tapes, um, can it did did Fox News, the news department, can they have access to that? Would, would they get access to that? Do you think I mean, what do we do with these tapes now? Because now it's your word against. You know, that's a good question. I can I you know, we work independently. We work for the same company you've worked here, you know, and know. but they really are in different silos. I can say that no one from any news organization that I'm aware of. I can't speak for my producers, but that as far as I know. No one has ever, no one ever asked. Can, can, can I ask right now? Can I get access to those? But as far as I'm concerned, you can have access to whatever you want. I mean, I personally think that everyone should have access to them. Just, I'll put you in touch with my producer uh, who's been dealing with um, the speaker's office for sure. I mean, so why, wait a I minute. Mean, so, so nobody, nobody from the news department, any news department contacted and said, Hey, Tucker, what do you, what are you seeing? What do you got? 
No Not way. one working journalist has texted me directly and everybody in the world, including my UPS delivery guy, has my text. Nobody doesn't have my text. I mean, I should just announce it on your show. Everybody has my text. <laughs> so I am the easiest person to get in touch with. I've had the same phone since 1995, the same phone number. I never change it. I respond to every text every day. So I am not hard to get in touch with at all. I'm not Colonel Kurtz up the Mekong, okay? I'm just sitting in my backyard. And nobody has reached, and, and I was in mainstream journalism for 25 years, so I know everybody. Nobody has asked me. And instead, I'm getting all these texts like, I'm Sarah Ellison from the Washington Post. Is it true that you suck? You know, the White House has issued a statement today saying you're a white supremacist Nazi. Would you care to comment? <laughs> and I just, I just said I respond to every text every day. I did not respond to Sarah Ellison or like all, you know, Dylan Beers or whatever his name is from Puck or whatever that is. Like, you know, the only texts I've gotten have been after they revealed that I'm Satan. And then like, what's your comment? Can, can you comment on your you know, moral decrepitude, Mr. Carlson? <laughs> It's amazing. Amazing. Um, uh, Tucker, I, I know that there has to be times that you feel very alone. Uh, you're not. There are millions. And people used to say this to me, but I'm telling you, I know because it happened to me. There are millions of people that are hearing what you're saying and getting the message, and you are certainly not alone. Don't ever feel that way. Well, thank you, Glenn. I, I feel blessed by that. I feel that. And I, I feel, I feel that. Yeah, I, I do feel that. And I feel people's prayers and, yeah. and I do. And I feel like there's all, it's like a physics principle, you know, there's always a reaction to, to, to a force. And I do feel a lot of honesty and a lot of love, not named at me, but just in the atmosphere, like there's yeah. something good happening, even as something bad has happened. There is. I really feel that strongly. Can I, now, can I flip this around just a bit? I know that if I were you, I would have thought, I mean, I got them dead to rights here. This is, this is going to blow this whole thing up. And there's, there's going to be a lot of people, not everybody, but there will be a lot of people who may have been on the other side or like, wait, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because this is so critical, you cannot live in a free society where the justice department is corrupt the uh, judges are corrupt, the media is corrupt, and the politicians are corrupt. You cannot have a free society. So everyone should be concerned about this. Are you surprised at all that the reaction from the, the, everyone, it seems, in power? I, I, I am surprised, but I also think... This is foundational. I mean, you know, we talk about a lot of different topics on the show, and it's some of them I think are really important and interesting, and they get no response and nobody cares. You know, I always say this to my staff, like we could get on the air tonight and say, you know, we really should invade Belgium because those Walloons are just like they're loathsome people and we should just put them all in camps. And nobody would say a word. If you say a word about Syria, holy smokes, like they come to your house. I don't know why is Syria like so essential to the system, but Belgium, a NATO ally in the middle of Europe, isn't, I, I don't understand it. All I know, I know their priorities by their reaction. And January 6th, I came at it very ingenuously, like, wait, this wasn't an armed white supremacist insurrection. You know, like, why are you saying that? And the second I said that out loud, they went freaking crazy. 
So I'm not, look, I can only guess. I, there's so much I don't know. I'm like feeling the outlines of something in a dark room. But I know that if you, pre- this is an open wound for them. And if you press it, all of a sudden you have all these Republicans attacking you. It's like, what is that? Aligning with Chuck Schumer, like all of a sudden you've got Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer saying exactly the same thing. Well, then that tells you just through inductive reasoning that this is the foundation of something that they're colluding on. What is it? I don't know. I'll leave it to bigger minds to speculate, but it's, it's demonstrably real, right? I mean, like, why would they buy? I'm a freaking talk show host on a cable channel. Like, who cares what I think? And all of a sudden they're spending all this energy attacking me. But of course, it's not about me. It's about the story. That story is at the center of of what they're doing and and what they're planning, obviously. And and this is why the White House, this is just breaking. Uh, It is they they are making it about you in comments shared first with Politico. The White House joined Republican Senate leaders uh, who a day earlier assailed um, Carlson's broadcast of selected assault footage as being filled with offensive and misleading conclusions. We agree with the chief of the Capitol Police and the wide range of bipartisan lawmakers who have condemned this false depiction of the unprecedented violent attack on our Constitution and rule of law, which cost police officers their lives. We also agree... We also agree with Fox News' own attorneys and executives who have now repeatedly stressed in multiple courts of law that Tucker Carlson is just not credible. (laughs) Oh, well, it it does sound, Glenn, like everyone's against me. Um, But I don't, you know, from my perspective, it's really not about me. It's about what actually happened. And I continue to think that I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've always been not always, but as I've aged, I've, I've been willing and I want to be willing to admit my own flaws and my own sins, you know, my own inherent crappiness as a person. I'll admit that. I think it's important to admit that. I agree. But I, but in this case, it's not about me. It's about, the lies that they're telling. And that's just true. And I have no, look, obviously this isn't helping me. Why am I doing this to get richer? I mean, I know a lot of, to- I know all the talk show hosts. I know everybody right in our business as you do too. And a lot of them are just like, I'm going to take a pass on that and just like get yeah, mad about tax rates or whatever, oh. whatever it is, whatever the story that you can safely push and other, you know, and play the partisan, the silly partisan game. But this is not about partisanship. It's not about parties. It's not about ideology. Even it's about power. And and I just feel like for the short time I'm on Earth, and for however long I have my current job, I should be as honest as I can possibly be and focus on the issues that actually matter. That's how I feel about it. And I really mean that. Well, obviously, I mean that. Uh, you know, how is it going to end for me? What you think I don't know? <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. So, and Tucker, l- listen, to me. listen to me. Yeah. Um, uh, you are uh, doing amazing work as long as you continue to stay tethered in reality and with God and you speak the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You are you are going to have, I think, divine protection around you. 
And as someone who has been literally in your place, I will always have your back. Thank you, Glenn. I'm grateful for that. And it's funny, as soon as this stuff started to happen to me, I mean, even years ago, I was like, you know what? I have a very uh, different opinion of Glenn Beck. Like, I got <laughs> No, I'm serious. I'm serious. In, a good, in a good way. In yeah. a good way. So, Thank yeah. you. God I, bless. I know what you're saying, man. God we'll bless. Thank talk you. Talk again. You bet. Bye-bye. Da, 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 da.